0: No. It's nuts. Even torturing you is boring.
1: This is the small council.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. This is Dave, your host, and I want to thank all of you guys for continuously coming on and listening to us, you know, yabber away about random ice and fire topics. And today's topic is going to be about Gen Con 2022's uh, preparation for it, because uh, it's only about just over two weeks away. Um, Tonight, or I should say today, uh, I have with me the one, the only,
1: and his name is John Steel!
2: uh his name's actually brett but you know it, it's the same thing
0: i'm i'm john cena now oh yeah you can't you can't you can't see me right
2: <laughs> so um this idea was uh i mean it's a it was kind of a no brainer idea but this uh the show idea was brett uh wanted to come on and talk about uh Uh, prepping for gen con um and so brett uh how are you feeling about gen con being just around the corner
0: oh i'm pretty excited um i've got everything all set to go apparently i've got a i've got a full house of people staying with me um it is you craig I think you said you're bringing a friend in, Uh, Carlo from England, is going to be staying at the house as well. So it should be a pretty fun and interesting week leading up to the tournament and play, Um, but I'm just pretty pumped. Uh, It's really – since 2019, it's going to be the first time we've had an actual Gen Con event at the convention center. The 2020 and 2021 Gen were uh, they were – like a pop-up Gen Con kind of a replacement event. They didn't actually take place at the at the actual convention center, so it's exciting to be going back to the actual big con. So I did my first Adepticon this year, and this is going to be my second Gen Con, so it's going to be a ton of fun.
2: Yeah, I... Uh this will actually be my first gen con for ice and fire. I used to go quite a bit for other games, but, uh, I think there had only been one gen con before, uh, COVID hit. And I forget what it was. I think it was just the cost. I couldn't afford to go to the first one. Um, you know, cause I didn't know Brett as well, so I couldn't stay at his place. And, um, you know, just a bunch of other factors. And if you don't, if you have to buy a hotel, drive yourself, gas, uh, parking, food, uh, event ticket, if you do all that by yourself, I mean, I would not blame anyone for not going. So um, definitely try to find like a group of people to really, you know, help with that burden for the cost because it can rack up pretty quickly. Uh, I don't think I've ever gone to Gen con without uh, like splitting hotel or and/or parking and a bunch of that stuff.
1: So oh, for those yeah. that
2: um, for those that don't know, uh, Gen con this year. Uh, you can. It starts technically on Wednesday, but Wednesday is more of a get your ticket early, look around, and there's some things you can do. But um, like most of the stuff starts on Thursday uh, for Simon um, or just Ice and Fire in general. Um, you're looking at the Last Chance Qualifier event on Thursday. Uh, it will probably give out four invites. Uh, it'll be based on attendance, but if it's anything like the qualifiers, uh, that, uh, like the Illinois one and all the different state qualifiers, um, if they have at least 17 people, it'll give out four spots. So if you haven't gotten a chance yet, um, definitely look to sign up for that. Um, and then the main event will be on Friday. Um, which will be, I believe, the rounds will be determined on attendance. And then the top 16 players will make it to the finals on Saturday, which I believe will be single elimination. Uh, So, you know, you could only have to play one game, or you could potentially play, let's say, if there is 16. um, So if there's 16 people, you could end up playing, I believe, four games. Um, so 16, eight, four, two. Yeah. So if you make it all the way to the, the finals of the finals, um, and win, or whether or not you win or lose, you'll be playing four games. So, uh, and as far as I'm aware, there's nothing on Sunday. So really, if you're only going to be going for, uh, ice and fire, um, you really would only have to go for Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, how about you, Brad? Are you going to be doing the last chance qualifier uh, even though you have uh, triple-E or quadruple-E gotten your invite?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I find up for it. What, what, what can I say? I'm a song of ice and fire junkie.
2: I mean, I don't blame me. I signed up as well. Um, it's not like If anything, even if you've qualified, signing up only helps other people because the last thing you'd want is for, like, no one to sign up, there'd only be, like, 12 people and then only one person get an invite, whereas if everyone that's qualified that's already going to be there all just signs up and we easily hit that threshold, we can get four more people in to qualify because if you have already qualified and you get a spot again it will grandfather down to the next place that didn't get one um so that and it's a nice uh way to uh test out some some last minute ideas of uh things that you might want to do on the next day so i would say to anyone out there that's kind of listening that's listening that uh, has already qualified Definitely consider uh, doing that tournament if you hadn't already. So, Brett, uh, what would you say is the like the number one thing you could do to prep uh, that isn't game related?
0: Number one thing to prep that isn't game related, well. Um, you find yourself in Indianapolis, and there are all kinds of Denny's everywhere. You just pick a Denny's, you go there, you sit down with a couple of your friends, and uh, you have some pancakes, and, uh, and then you're, you're, uh, good to go. you
2: align your chakra that
0: way, and, uh, you relax, and, no, it's, um, obviously i've said a number of times a big part of this game is mentality it's uh it's very much a mental game um i think you need to do the best that you can to kind of relax um when i'm playing in person i put my phone you know completely away i don't ever check any messages or do anything during the game um it's just a whole a whole vibe being being in that zone. So I'm not really sure. I mean, whatever you have to do to get into your zone, whatever you have to do to kind of clear your mind and, and focus on the game that's in front of you, um, is what I would recommend. I really do think it's a good idea to go out with you know like minded gamers or, or friends or whoever and uh, have some breakfast or something beforehand and, and kind of loosen up, make some jokes, have conversation. Um it's what I've always done before a tournament, is the traditional Denny
2: breakfast. I had a feeling you were gonna say uh, you know, pancakes. Uh <laughs> you know, you probably keep a couple in your pocket just in case.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh
2: also, um, on with us uh uh came on just a minute ago. Uh, we have Craig. Uh, it's been a while. Thank you for uh, coming on.
1: Yeah, it's been a little bit.
2: So how about you? What What would you say is something that you like to do to prep that isn't necessarily game-related?
1: Well, as uh, you guys just mentioned, Denny's for breakfast. Um, I don't really care for Denny's or anywhere, but if I don't have steak and eggs, then I might not win a single game. So I have to find steak and eggs. Um, other than that, just to piggyback on what Brett said, is hang out with people who think about the game, talk about the game, and just uh, kind of let it consume you a little bit. Um, otherwise, you're distracted, and that's when mistakes happen. And, and for me, I think I'm going to use the, if I do sign up for the last chance tournament, which I think I probably will, I will use it for that purpose, and that purpose alone, just to focus on uh, on the game and get back into the groove, because I have not been playing much, and I am very very rusty.
2: yeah, I hear that uh how many rounds was l v o uh,
1: it was five
2: so yeah so i've I've heard that uh, somewhere that you've only ever played five games of ice and fire ever that's true and that's and that's it.
1: Yep, those are the so only games uh, I've ever played.
2: Yep. So you're currently undefeated for you know forever. You're yep, yep. the person. And I got lucky. The person, <laughs> the person that uh, uses your profile on TTS isn't even actually you. It's uh, it's probably Brett.
1: Yeah, I loaned it out to him. Uh, every loss <laughs> on there <it> certainly his. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's so, super sweet of you.
1: You're welcome. <laughs>
2: so, um, what, uh, we'll start with you, Brett, Brett, what, um, what are you like the most aci- excited about for the event? You know, with, with everything going on, whether it be a certain event or a certain day or just a certain thing that, uh, is going to be happening.
0: Well, obviously, I'm looking forward to the qualifier and then the the final event. Uh, it's definitely a, a different level of gaming when it's a single elimination kind of knockout bracket. That's definitely something unique for in person gaming. It's not anything I've ever participated in before. Um, overall, I'm just it's just the whole the whole experience and everything. There's going to be some people from FEMA on there. Obviously, they're running the event. Um, excited to meet some new people that I haven't met before and then see some people that I know really well. So that's always exciting. These are people that, you know, I don't talk to all the time and much less see them all the time. So seeing them in person and getting a, an opportunity to kind of hang out with them physically is going to be something cool. Um, looking forward to. Meeting some of the people in the community that I haven't again actually met in person. I've played PBS games with a lot of people, but haven't played a lot of people in person per se. Outside of you know um, the local indie events, you tend to see the same kind of people from the Midwest and stuff. So I'd be. I think it'll be cool if some people are coming from the West Coast or the East Coast or further south. Um, it's just the whole vibe. It's going to be cool. Um I'm just looking forward to that experience. And then I think that on day 1, the the qualifier day, not 100% sure, but I might be running demos for the first two rounds. So that's kind of always fun and exciting to have a tournament ongoing and, you know, since I have the two buys, I might just be doing demos, which is kind of a cool little fun thing I always like trying to get new people into the game,
2: and being able to show them the ropes is pretty cool. Only two buys, I mean that's pretty weak sauce, I think me and Craig have four, so... Yeah, um, I know, I should have I done better.
1: <laughs>
2: so, um, Craig, how about you, What's, uh, what would you say you're kind of the most excited about?
1: Well, like you said, meeting new people, uh, I shouldn't say new people, but people you've only talked to, I've uh, never actually met. Um, pretty much everyone but Bob, if Bob's out there listening. And uh, that, that'll be good. Uh, I get to spend some time with uh, my favorite small council host and just play the game that I enjoy. Um, I don't know how well I'll do. My goal is just to make it to uh, Saturday see it happens, but yeah, just playing the game again.
2: So, what what makes Brett your favorite small council host, and not me?
1: Oh, I was encompassing both of you, of course.
2: <laughs> oh, I see. Um, <clears throat>
1: yeah, I would say,
2: um, you know, not to, like, you know, make it sound like any any person is lesser, <laughs> but I think the thing I'm the most excited about is just the atmosphere. Just kind of being in like the convention itself um, it uh, you know it's it's definitely something different it's something that you know you don't really get anywhere else you know outside of a large convention when you got all these people, all these games and events going on um, you know it's it probably you know has a little bit to do with nostalgia of just other years where I had went to Gen Con for other games. Um, so I guess it's really just like that nostalgic feeling uh, of the atmosphere. Um, and then obviously like a really close second is just seeing everybody, um, whether or not they're just people I've never met or people I haven't seen in a long time. Um, so To kind of jump into the actual preparation part, Um, Brett, uh, what would you say is, you know, what, uh, I'll let you kind of take it off uh, from there. Uh, You mean as far as getting prepared for what you're potentially going to face? Um, either just any, any prep, whether it be what army to choose, if you're on the fence about that, um, what you might face, uh, just, just any prep in in particular, wherever you feel you wanted to start. Sure. Yeah. Um,
0: I think of course the army that you choose is, I mean, always the, 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 primary reason that you choose the army is because it's the army that you own and it's an army that you like and you enjoy playing, um. I think there's some debate overall and differences of opinions in in various channels and various uh, places, things like this, who's the most powerful. Um, Of course, you'll have – you'll always have people playing, you know, whatever faction they believe gives them the best chance to win. Um, I think overall, if you ask most people, the debate would probably hinge around watch and Free folk uh who's the best. Uh, you could throw baratheons into the discussion as well. Um, as just being a very, very powerful, good faction that kind of does everything. And I think Lannisters are actually surging a good bit too with that heroes box. Uh Kevin and Adam certainly helped uh pull the Lannisters kind of out of a little funk that they were in. So there's there's a case for them as well. Um, but I mean, being honest, there's there's so many different routes that you can go. Um, you can either play play something that you would consider kind of a, a meta list, uh, meaning something that you have seen, excuse me, have played yourself and have seen work, or you've seen someone else pilot it, and so you know that that list kind of works. The other thing that you can do is something i've had the tendency to do in the past which is just kind of a hard skew list um if you study the the meta and you study what's winning tournaments and you study what people are bringing and you kind of keep a close eye on that you always have the option to just do a very hard skew something that counters those top lists that you're not necessarily expecting um i've done it in the past with lannisters um at some of the previous Gen Cons, I think I took Lannisters to the Gen Cons, and I think I took Night's to Watch to the Adepticons. But I think the last Gen Con that I that I won was with Lannisters, and I brought Pyromancers. Um, they definitely weren't considered a good, strong meta choice, but at the time, uh, Starks were kind of surging, and it, a lot of it hinged around Tully Cavaliers. Um, and so I felt like if I ran Tyrion with Pyromancers, I could potentially get a leg up on those types of builds, and it ended up working out really well for me. Um, I did have to face Shane's starts. He did bring two Tully Cav, and my Pyromancers were able to take care of them. So that's always an option. You can always do that. I think some of the bigger skew-type lists that you could bring right now are still Lannisters with Tywin and NCU. It's a thing. You don't see it all the time. I'm not 100% sure people really, like, build for it and have the expectation that they'll run into it, but it can it can really throw a wrench in your gears, particularly if you're playing Night's Watch or Targaryens, who are, you know, obviously powerful armies that win events pretty consistently. Um, I think maybe in particular uh, Night's Watch would absolutely hate seeing Tywin NCU and then, you know, Heavy Cav, Slade Men, and or Knights of Castle Rock, maybe double men, depending on the type of list. Me personally, I when I'm playing Knights Watch I find that terrifying. Um, when they drop the range of Castomir and hit, hit, do the four hits, drop a vulnerable token on you, drop a panic token on you, whether you pass the panic test or not, um, all it takes it doesn't matter if it's veterans of the watch, Sworn Brothers, Ranger Hunters, Ranger Trackers, any unit in Knights Watch uh, if you get the reins of Casimir and a heavy cab charge, there's a good chance that they they will just wipe you out in that turn, and there's there's really not anything you can do about it. Um, you'd have to hope that you had like Shield of the Realms of Men and they didn't have a counterplot in hand. Uh, it gets really really dicey at that point. Um, but with that said, you know you you can you can build a skew list like that, or just run whatever you like. I mean, honestly, I've I found I play a lot of TTS, and I found that there's skew lists everywhere, right? There's people that love their faction, even if it's not necessarily the most competitive. They'll run those lists, and they just don't really particularly care. Of course, they want to win, but there are, there are people who play the game for the fluff. They play the game because they like certain models. They play the game because you know they run a certain commander because they like that character, not, not necessarily how they function in the game. And you can find yourself being surprised by those types of builds. It's not something that you necessarily account for. Um, And then I I know that I've referenced this in previous shows, but uh, take, for example, my club mate, Gary. Um, I'm not going to say that no one else ever did it, right? But his list at Adapticon, it was the first in a long time that I've seen a four combat unit to NCU list do as well as it did, make it as far as it did. And it was really a nightmare to face. Um, So you will, I I think you will see those types of lists, not only, you know, because Gary's going to be there and I think he'll run something similar with a few adjustments here and there, but I I think there's a chance that you see those like just really crazy skew lists. Um, You might see a Mag Mighty list. You might see the, the four two Baratheon double champions of the stag, double glory seeker kind of lists. And, Do they generally win tournaments? I mean, not necessarily. They're not exactly built to play every game mode, but you can definitely get caught off guard by that list and catch a loss uh, just because you're not prepped for something like that. So, um, again, I I guess back to the original point as far as prep goes, I'm not 100% sure you can prep for everything. Um, All you can do is build a list that you like, build a list pairing that does as much as you can to take to take on every different faction and, and uh you know, I just think it's more complicated now than just building one list that is high activation to play like Game of Thrones and one list that's an armor buster or one list that's defensive, one list that's offensive. I think I think the the game has evolved so much that I really don't know that there's a like a perfect two list pairing there's not a two list pairing that's going to cover all bases no matter what you do or how well you build your list there is going to be some skew list some even maybe not even a skew list some list out there that's going to be a hard counter to your list and no matter what it's going to be an uphill battle so overall i think you just bring what you like bring what's worked for you and i mean
2: you're just going to have to play the game yeah, I would uh <clears throat> I would agree to that. Like you know, just played a uh uh the old card game I occasionally reference, uh you know, it got discontinued a couple years like I don't know, like a year before Ice and fire came out and <clears throat> uh just recently had like people from all over the country come out and do um you know, basically do a, a huge a huge tournament in the sense of it was still only like 24 people, but that's huge for a game that's dead, and for people that literally came from basically all corners of the of the states uh, to come play it. Well, <clears throat> the same thing is true from that as in the tournament coming up, and that's you know, out the smaller sample size you have of a tournament, um, the more an outlier has a chance. To really do well um, <clears throat> for example, when the game was alive, uh, you know we'd have hundreds of people in the tournament, and it was almost always like the same three decks with some variations uh, for like ninety percent, and then there'd only be like ten percent of people that were running kind of a somewhat of an outlier, and they generally would. Do very bad. Um, You did maybe have one percent of the ten percent of the outliers that might you know kind of surprise you. Um, But generally, that was not the case. But now that the game is um, you know discontinued, you have such a small sample size that these outlier decks are really you know because the reason. The outlier decks or in this case an uh, an army list can do well in a small uh, sample size is that uh, you know your opponent like you said Brett you can't prepare for everything and if you are trying to prepare for the most commonly seen thing um, let's say probably free folk or Night's Watch or Baratheon's and you decide to bring uh, an outlier Stark list Um, it's a a decent possibility that you're going to catch your opponent off guard, even if they're a great uh, player. Like, you're still going to catch them off guard, and it's going to be like, oh, great, Uh, I don't really have an answer for this. Or, you know, uh, it could be like an all-out retribution-style Great John Umber or something. Not that that's like a huge outlier, but it's definitely something that, People could overlook and not really plan for, um, and it just gives the outlier lists uh, kind of a like a sneaky door to winning some games. <clears throat> so that is one upside to a smaller player sample. Really takes some of the strength away from like the usual uh, uh, lists out there um you know i i want to say um you know depending on who you are like me personally sometimes uh, i would say a lot of times my lists can seem pretty goofy um i just have like a, a particular way of building lists that uh you know it kind of just i guess favors favors me a little bit um you know it i kind of run kind of in an, and in between, like a half meta, half like outlier, you know, I'll find some like goofy thing to do, but in like a great faction, um, and you know, it kind of gives me that edge sometimes in in games, just because my opponent's not expecting it. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think doing stuff like that can be can be very important. Uh, Craig, uh, how about you? Uh, what are your thoughts on it?
1: So you're talking about outlier lists and stuff of that nature. Uh, Brett once said on Discord, I believe it was, that tournaments in the United States, uh, unlike Europe, are very much like the Wild West, and that you never really know what you're going to run into. Um, I think Brett, uh, you have your finger on everything all the time, and yesterday or two days ago you posted uh, estimates on what you thought uh, who would run run what faction of the people you knew were attending. And it looked like a very widespread. I mean, I remember there are a couple of Baratheans on there, a couple of free folks, kind of a little bit of everything except for neutrals. And that's that's kind of what you get with the U.S. playing tournaments in the United States. Um, outlier lists, um, although as far as the meta is concerned, are considered outliers, to me they're more expected Um, And so with that in mind, when I prepare a list, I have one list that I'm comfortable with that's kind of good at everything but great at nothing, and then I will use that list most of the time, and um, although it's not great at anything, it'll be good enough at whatever my opponent's weakness is that I can kind of leverage that. That being said, there's a couple of factions that I personally struggle with. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to say they're the best factions. Uh, statistically speaking, are the most competitive. For example, Night's Watch has never really been too much of an issue for me. I don't know if I'm just lucky against them, or if I play against them too much, or whatever it is, I always have good success against Night Watch, Night's Watch, so I don't really skew a list towards them at all. Um, there's a couple other factions like that, and then there's some factions that really statistically aren't that good that that get me far more often than they should. So my second list always kind of skews towards the two factions or three factions, whatever it happens to be, that I'm expecting to see that I know I personally struggle with. Uh, if that makes sense, and then I'll look at the list again and make sure that I have something that uh, that although my list skewed towards other lists or don't, which, depending which list I look at, I also want to make sure that I can cover essentially, uh, you know, any scenario I need to cover that I think I need to cover. Uh, in those lists, and then if they don't, then I'll make a tweak here and there and and go with it. Um, I'm a little bit behind the eight ball at this tournament because I've been kind of out of the loop for a while, so I haven't really, uh, I haven't even settled on a faction yet. I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between three of them, although I probably have it narrowed down. Uh, We'll see how that goes. I've got the list chosen for each faction, but I don't have, uh, have just haven't decided which one to bring.
2: Yeah, I think, I think I mentioned it before. I'm kind of stuck between two different factions, but I do know for a fact we'll play both. I just don't know which one I'm going to play for the last chance qualifier and which one I'll play for the main event. Um,
1: you so, could play three.
2: Did they officially announce that?
1: I think so. We'll ask Brett. Brett will know. Yep,
2: so like yeah, I know there is
0: like a
1: rumor yeah.
2: going around. So
1: no, it's, it's it's
0: not a rumor. It was confirmed on the Song of Ice and Fire tabletop managers page, the Simons actual page, the are allowed to list.
2: So you mean you can you're you to can run, everything?
0: You could, yeah, you could hypothetically run three different factions if you if you really wanted to. <laughs>
2: For anyone listening what what Fred is talking about is that you can run uh, one faction and any list on the last chance, and then you can run a different faction and different lists on the first day of the uh, nationals, and then you can run another faction and any lists on the second day of the uh, nationals. Not that you get to like run different armies and uh, three lists all, you know, for one event. But each event will be basically separate separate from each other.
0: Yeah, each of the events is considered a separate event. You can change your list and your
2: factions if you you so desire. I mean, this is probably, I'm probably like in a, a very small minority, but that bothers me a little bit. But that's probably just coming from a card game background. Uh... Just because like the uh, the second day is basically top cut, it's just because there's so many rounds you gotta make it a second day. Um, It wouldn't be realistic to try to fit it all in one day. Um, But in a card game, you have to whatever it was that you played in the in the main event, like the main portion, is what you would have to play in the in the top cut. But it is what it is. It's not like a huge deal to me. Um, just like one of those small little, like, oh, that's weird. So um, with that in does, mind, uh,
1: will you be bringing, oh, I'm sorry, will you be bringing another enough list to change that third day if you wanted to?
2: Um, to totally be totally honest with you, knowing that, I will probably try and paint up, um, 40 points of... Because I've already mentioned on here that the two factions I'm leaning towards is uh, Greyjoys and Free Folk. Um, With that said, um, because not to toot my own horn, I'm very confident that I will make it to the second day. Um, Whether or not how well I'll do on the second day, well, you know, who knows. But I'm confident enough that I'll make it, you know, if there's... Not to, like, knock the event... Because there was only so many invites. Um, do we have a total count of how many people are in it? I know Bob had like a list, but I couldn't find it anywhere. But I last I like saw
1: 25 to concerned. 30 is the guess, I think.
2: Yeah. I'm yeah. Not, not not so it's
1: like. I don't think we have so a
2: comprehensive sh- list. Let's just say 32. Uh, we'll just rounded up to that number, uh, even though that's not like a round number, but we'll round it up to 32. Um, and that means half of everyone that plays on day one gets to go to day two. Um, and I'm pretty confident that I'm not going to do that bad. <laughs> uh, so with that said, um, knowing that I Will almost guarantee be playing the three days. Uh, I'll probably save. Uh, I'll probably run something goofy on the last chance qualifier. Then I, I shouldn't say goofy. That's that's a little misleading. Um, a little bit weaker on the totem pole because um, I think Greyjoy's are really low on stats right now. But in my opinion, they're that's a little deceiving. Uh, I don't know if you guys would agree. Uh it just depends on what you're running. Um, uh and then I'm running Free Folk, which are really high. So I think my next faction to I don't know, it'll probably be either Starks or Lannisters. Starks if I can't get 40 points of Lan- uh you know, two lists worth of Lannisters painted up before then because I'm still working on the two lists of free folk I'm painting Um, but if I can get it painted I would definitely love to run uh, Lannisters to kind of show off the the paint scheme and that either one of those lists would be what I run on Thursday but I just finished uh, painting all of the, the trays for my Lannisters and then basing them and everything and I painted a while back, I painted one of every single model from like all the different units to see what the scheme would look like. And so I'm super excited to get to them eventually. They're the next faction after Free Folk that I'm going to paint because Lannisters have always been very... Lannisters have never been number one on my totem pole of favorite faction, but they've always been very high. But with that said, uh, or I'll just kind of throw this question out there, and then either of you can answer what uh, if you guys even want to say what are you guys planning to run as far as just faction? Uh, obviously, I wouldn't ask you about your particular lists.
1: Uh, uh, uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm debating. I'm debating. Um, um, Night's Watch, Free Folk, and uh, possibly Targaryen, Stark, Lannisters. I can't really decide. Um, or, you know, I am I might just do what I always end up doing and just <laughs>
1: go
0: with Night's Watch because that's what I have painted and that's what I like. I, I really can't decide. Um, I would like to do Folk at least one day. Um, but we'll have to I would have to get the Freehold Army from Shane. So that's another thing I need to... I would need to make sure that's fine with him and make sure he's not giving it
2: to Cameron or somebody to use, so... So in other words, everyone listening, Brett will possibly be playing any faction that isn't neutrals, Baratheons or Greyjoys. (laughs) 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 Um, Well, you do have that... uh, secret Greyjoy army you could always pull together and play.
0: You know, they, they registered they registered on my radar as a possibility too. I really I just can't call it. I don't know. I just don't know. I it'll be I mean it, this is this is not anything that's abnormal for me, right? I I go to these events, I test, test, test the list, I test, test, test the list. I played on yes, I play it in person. I stress test it. I I run it through the grinder. I feel really, really, really good about it. And then the night before, I just do some wonky change. And, again, it's not anything abnormal at all. I think I've done it at every single event. Gen Con 2019, the first event that I, you know, won and kind of put myself out there, I had a Lannister list that I took to Illinois, played against you guys. I played it relentlessly in Indy. I liked it. It was good. At the very, very last minute, I changed it. I removed some pieces, added Blade Men, ran a 4-2 list, and then I ended up running it every single game, day two, and obviously I, I won that event. Um, similarly, when I ran Lannisters last time, I tested, tested, tested a Tyrion list with Crossroads with Preston. I loved it. It worked. Everything was great. I even played uh, Lock and Jump Order from... Australia the night before the event and I ran the crossroads with Preston I was like man this is really good I like it I went the very next day and took that unit out and dropped the pirate um, I had a night watch army ready for nationals last year it was like double ranger hunter at the very last minute I dropped the ranger hunter with hardened ranger and put in foreign brothers with Dario
1: <laughs> it's-
0: Probably something like that will happen again. I just, I have lists that I've tried, that I've played on TPS, that I've stress tested, that I like, and I'll just end up changing them. That's, that's
2: just probably what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I know all too often, like, there's, before a lot of the tournaments you'll ask me, like, between two options, and I'll give you, and I'll tell you, okay, this one, and. Usually you pick it, and usually it does well for you. Um, so I definitely get that. Uh, I'm not that much that way with Ice and Fire, but with uh, like the card game I used to play, I was I was definitely like that. Um, you know, I would not pick. I'd be doing last minute changes, or even changing the entire deck uh, to something different, similar to like changing the faction, like the day the day of, you know, the morning of, Um, whereas this one uh, with Ice and Fire I do a lot of like mulling over, like leading up to, but normally by like the night before um, I usually have it kind of set in stone which is weird because uh, normally from the people I talk to, like my friends and stuff, usually if you're one way with a game, you're that same, you're that same way with all games. What about uh, you, Craig? What's kind of your process for deciding and testing and uh, trying to really decide to eliminate your, the other options?
1: Well, I would like to say that as a competitive gamer, I do everything I'm supposed to, and I read every rule and every trigger consistently, constantly, and I practice every night on TPS and at my local game store and all that, but that would be a fallacy. Um, It's kind of a joke between (laughs) Brett and I that sometimes I just kind of, oh, yeah, there's a big tournament this weekend. I should probably figure something out for that, and then I just kind of roll out of bed and show up and see what happens. Um, that's also a bit of an exaggeration, but not by much. Um, I uh, I farm, so I'm uh, about 1,800 acres, so I am really busy all the time. Um, I've got a couple local friends that play the game, so I'm always like, hey, I've got like two hours later, you, uh, <laughs> you're uh free to be my guinea pig. Um, <laughs> let, last winter I got a lot of TTS in heading up to... Uh, um, LVO, and that helped me out quite a bit, picking lists, and I had that set early. Um, so far this summer, I have played, I joined a one PTS tournament for practice, which I was eliminated from last night. Thanks, Lobster. And uh, other than that, so there's three games that there I played, and I played maybe two or three in-person games, and that's it. That's since Adepticon. That's all I've had time to play. So I listened to podcasts. I constantly make up list after list after list, and uh, there's a TV, this might sound weird, there's a TV show on Netflix uh, called um, The Queen's Gambit, I think, about a woman who plays chess, and when she isn't playing chess, she's taking drugs and staring up at the ceiling and playing chess on her ceiling. Well, I skipped the yeah, That part. makes a
2: lot more sense now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I skipped the, the fun part, the drugs, but I'll do that with, like, for example, right now I'm blowing grain trucks and going down the road, so as I'm going down the road, I'll just be sitting there thinking through scenarios uh, and and doing the math, mathematically what would happen if I did this and ran this against this, and I just kind of do the whole thing in my head, or try to, which sometimes it's a great boon for me, sometimes it gets me in trouble, Um, for example, in a game I'll make a charge that, you know, I've gone through a hundred times in my head that mathematically should work, but then i actually at the table top and I miss some key detail and it doesn't. Or <laughs> it goes the other way and I've done it in my head so many times that looking at the table, I don't have to stop and hesitate and think about it and just the way I go. So a lot of my practice, and I know it sounds weird, some people are probably rolling their eyes at me right now and that's okay. But most of my practice is kind of done in my head on my own. Or I'll sit there in my game room and I'll just set some couple lists up on a table and play against myself if I can if uh, you know like midnight when I get home stuff like that so yeah I know it's weird yeah I mean now I get what you're saying
2: Um, I haven't I don't know if I've ever done that with ice and fire but uh, the card game I used to do it all the time where I would just pull out two decks and play against myself over and over and over, um just testing out you know different combos and different uh different you know consistencies of the deck um, and that was kind of like something you know that was like one of our first episodes where it talked about just um the consistency of a tactics deck, you know so definitely if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that, just talking about you know 'cause that was why like. Great John Umber wasn't so great um, when he first came out, and uh, what was it? Uh, and a lot of people were trying to, you know, give me crap for not running Great John over Blackfish in a Umber list, and you know that was kind of came down to the fact that Great John just had too many uh, early dead cards, you know, that required you to die. Um, and obviously, they fixed that now, and don't really have that issue but uh but just you know running through scenarios like that can really uh help you kind of decide if you really don't know which uh, what faction and or list you want to take or what unit over another unit in a list just kind of helps you uh sort through all the info um to kind of you know cause sometimes you don't really have like a bunch of people that you can just sit around a table and just like, you know, theory craft everything with. Because normally when you have that limited time with those people, you just want to play. You don't want to just like sit there and like theory craft and you know, test through stuff. Because like, there's definitely, you know, playing a game is definitely a good way to test. Like it's a great way to test out things. But sometimes you might need to test in a different way. You might need to just, like, run uh, very specific scenarios that you might not be able to automatically simulate by just playing a pickup game with someone. So, (coughs) what about you, Brett? Do you do (coughs) any of that stuff? Um...
0: I'm sorry, can you, can you rephrase the question, I guess?
2: Um, like, do you, uh, like, uh, Craig was saying that, you know, he, uh, will run scenarios through his head constantly to, uh, kind of, you know, figure out, um, like, uh, his chances of doing things and just, uh, you know, and I was mentioning, like, you know, Doing uh, doing it to like figure out what units you're, you know, you want to run over okay. other units or factions or yep. lists.
0: yeah, I got you. Yeah, it's pretty much it's pretty much constant. I uh, I actually have severe ADHD, so uh, when I'm not medicated, which is pretty much all the time, um, <laughs> it's uh yeah basically i i like i medicate for when i do conventions or big events because um you know i i get the anxiety and it really helps but for the most part i i just let my brain go um throughout like everyday life and when i'm not medicated yeah that's pretty much what's happening uh it's, it's not even it's almost an involuntary control um i did it when i played warhammer 2 um, He's just constantly running through. It's like, I, I don't really know how to describe it. it it's, it's like when you get a song stuck in your head, right? You just plays the song over and over and over again. That's that's kind of what my, my head does with scenarios and dice and, and things like that. You, you know, I'm, const- it's I'm like constantly a computer. sitting. Yeah, I'm constantly sitting and thinking, okay, uh, do a charge. <laughs> how many hits am I going to get? How many saves are they going to get? What uh, plus or minus this for, for skews. If I do this and retreat this way and then I shoot them, plus or minus skews there, what are my chances to one-shot? How do I get tokens out? Um, what if I have Sword in the Darkness? What if I don't? Um, you know, things like that. And it's just constantly... Those scenarios are constantly running through my head. And then it's... Uh, you know, I, I study through other factions and what cards they have and and so I try to calculate that. Like, if I go... If I go all in and I charge this Baratheon unit, am I better off to not re-roll my attack dice to mitigate Final Strike? Or do I just go all in and hope that Final Strike doesn't do a lot of damage to me? You know, it's it's constantly things like that are are going through and uh, I kind of crunch the numbers and and figure it out. But ultimately when when I play, you know, I kind of just go, I try to do whatever is the best play even with consideration to what cards they play. um i think it was yannick when i was training in i call it training in the dirt in the german dojo right when i first got into tps i did a lot of playing with yannick and Michael and lark and they all kind of had the same theory you know it was just you you play the game you do your best move and you don't play, you you play cautiously, you know, you're aware that things can happen, like you don't expose your flanks kind of foolishly, but you also don't just sit there and, and be paralyzed by fear thinking, well, what if they have assault orders? If they have assault orders, this could happen, so I should just not even go in and make this play. You just make the plays that are available to you, I think, and sometimes bad things happen. And, and then of course it's different, you know. If, if they have Sentinel, you know that they have Sentinel, so you can prepare for that. Um, if it's a card like Hidden Affairs or the old Countercharge or something, you don't know for sure if they have it. You kind of play, like, with the possibility that that can happen and you have a backup plan for it, but I think you also just don't play completely paralyzed because then you're giving them too much control. And these are things that I debate with myself all the time. Like, if I go in and do this, am am I gonna screw myself kind of situation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say I agree. Um the only time I I normally will let like the fear of something like that prevent me from what I'm doing is if like that, you know, because sometimes this can be the case, but if that one mistake, like if, let's say, okay, if they have this card, or if they don't have this card, awesome, but if they have it, and I, you know, go head first into it, then basically the game's over. You know, like, if it's going to be game-changing, normally it's better to, you know, err on the side of caution, but, you know, you just kind of have to weigh the, you know, weigh it out, like the the benefits and uh, downsides to to making the action based on the likeliness that they have a particular card, and, you know, and that kind of goes um, that kind of goes hand in hand with you know checking their discard pile, you know, or remembering if they've already played a copy of a certain card um, because you know with a 20 card deck if one's already gone. Um, they only have one more copy, uh, checking how many cards have been used, how many are left in the deck, how many are in their hand. I'm just kind of uh, calculating out what the likeliness is that they have that card. Now, you could still always be wrong. Like They could literally have drawn double copies of it in their opening hand, you know, played one, have uh, 17 cards in their deck, two cards in hand, and... Uh, or even they could have played another card and only have one card in hand, 17 in deck, and already played one. They could still have it. I mean, that is always a possibility. But you know, just weighing, you know, weighing the likeliness and the pros and cons to the action, I think, is always uh, a great thing to keep in mind when you're making uh, making your choices. Now, Brett. Um, what would you say uh, to people who want to try to prep for any particular faction that is probably going to be seen quite a bit? Um, any, I guess any faction of your choice, if you want to mention any of them, because um, I know but Night's Watch, Baratheons, and Free Folk, I think, are going to be the majority of what we see. Not the only things. I know for a fact there's going to be other stuff, but I think that'll be three highest factions. I, th- I think.
0: I think out of all of the factions, I think the one that people need to be the most prepared for, the most aware of, and... Possibly give consideration to teching for is free Um I know that Nightwatch is tough. I know that they can get there eight, eight or nine kind of pseudo activations with watch captains and things like this. They hit like a truck. But at the end of the day, Nightwatch. If you're seeing an eight or nine activation Nightwatch list, very good chance that it's probably 44 weeks at best you're not really seeing eight activation night watch lists that are 60 wounds. You're really typically not even seeing four, 48. You're seeing a commander in a unit with 12 wounds, watch captain in a unit with 12 wounds, maybe another watch captain, which is only 36 wounds, but that's 27 points. And then maybe you, you'll see cold hands or ghosts, and then some into use. That's only 40 wounds. Um, and I know that it's 40 wounds that can be difficult to get rid of, but again, at the end of the day, Nightwatch is tough, they hit hard, they can Alpha Strike, they can do a lot of things, but they it's just a few units. Uh, when you kill a Nightwatch unit with a Watch Captain or you assassinate a Watch Captain or something, you're easily taking out an activation. If you kill the unit, you've dropped a few activations. Um, Having played Nightwatch a lot in the 2021 landscape, along with board commander Bob from Ohio, he and I have had a number of discussions about it. And, and sometimes, as the Nightwatch player, if you're running, let's just say the John Double Hunters list, which is always popular, John and Hunters, Hunters with a Watch Captain, if you lose one of those Ranger Hunter units early, like say round one, round two, probably realistically round two. If you lose that unit, you, you, it's almost impossible for you to win the game. Um, definitely not impossible because I just played Joys and he killed John first activation of round two and I managed to pull the game out, but I had mercenaries with a watch captain and I had hunters with a watch captain, so I was able to string some stuff together and make it happen, but a lot of times that's just not going to happen. Uh, in particular, if you've got you know the those two units, and then solos. You're just not, you're just not coming back in that game. So yes, you need to keep Nightwatch in mind, but there are some pretty hard counters for Nightwatch. Uh, Drogo with Selmy and in particular can really shut down a Nightwatch army like that and just completely cripple them. And then Drogo goes and starts killing attachments, and it's, it's very hard for them to string together anything after that. Freefolk, on the other hand. Generally, you're seeing sixty to seventy-two wounds to start. Um, if they're running Mag the Mighty, they're starting with fifty-four, but obviously, Mag almost counts as twelve wounds, and then you've got two endless swords that turn it into an obscene number of wounds. Um, well, I guess I guess there's a chariot. I'm sorry. Typically, I'll say quote-unquote meta free folks starts with sixty-six wounds, five combat units, one chariot. And then two Endless Hordes turns it into 90 wounds. And that's a lot. That's a lot of wounds to get rid of. Uh, there's debate about the game being less killy or not. I don't think there's any debate. The game is less killy. In, in 1.6, I ran Stark. There were games I played into the Free Folk Karma Horde back when freefolk Folk could put, you know, eight, nine combat units on the table. And then Endless Horde, two of them back there were games that I did 120 plus wounds to Free Folk um, you're just not going to do, do that in, in this version of the game even with the uh, Ranger Hunters and stuff having so many attacks, I just don't think you're, you're doing that many wounds, you're just not and so that becomes problematic because Free Folk are like death by a thousand paper cuts but not only are they death by a thousand paper cuts, they have explosive plays as well and that, we could save that for another show where I'll, I would say that folks do too much. But um, typically you're seeing one or two instances of hidden traps. Hidden traps are very, very, very strong in the meta right now. Um, when you consider that the amount of, like, inventory units that are a 3-plus defense, there's very few. So for the most part you're seeing inventory that's 4-plus, 5-plus defense. When they take four hits from hidden traps, that, that's a lot. And now they work on ranged attacks as well. You've got things like Dark Archers that are 6-plus defense. There's a good chance that you shoot a unit of trappers and you take more wounds than you do to the trappers because of hidden trap. And then you've got hold line from the fence, the ability to cycle hold line, and then you have the Chariot that can literally... I mean, if it's in the flank and a Raid Leader's involved and they have their two-mini in hand, they can one-shot any unit in the game. Um, I mean, I've seen it happen. I've seen... Uh, a chariot charged the flank of champions of SAG with war cry putting vulnerable in panic and the chariot just one shot them and that's that's it. Dead unit. Eight points. Um, but I think Craig kind of experienced that a little bit last night because wilding diplomacy did four wounds to his screamers and then the chariot charged into them and he played theirs too many and killed screamers. Like just like that. Um, that type of stuff that can happen. Um how do you build for free folk? That's a difficult question. I'm not not even really 100 percent sure how to answer it. I think I think they struggle with heavy calves um, if it's got activation, right? So the brass and six activation list with, with heavy calves, they will get a chariot to the flank or to the rear, no problem. So in that case, the heavy cab isn't doing a lot. I think they struggle against like a seven, eight activation list that has Knights Castle Rock or tully Cab or has one championship stag or something like that. That can be a little bit more difficult for them to to get out and kill. I don't know. Um, (laughs) You asked me the wrong question here. I just can't give you good, I can't give anybody great advice on how to beat three folk because I think man's three folk in particular are by far the strongest thing we've really even seen in the game. You know, minus the awful double crosses, and I think they're right on par with each other Just for just how difficult it is to beat. And if you don't have a list that's specifically tech for it and it's played well, you're just not going to win. And I, I catch a lot of flack from the guys in my group when I say that, but that, that's just reality. You're just If a Free Folk player is a good player and you're not tech to deal with Free Folk, you, you just will not win the game. You won't win. They, they, they whether they table you or not they might not, but they can still they can still do enough killing to prevent you from killing them and then they'll just
2: beat you on the mission. How about you, Craig? Uh, do you have any similar experiences with, uh, with what Brett's saying
1: Yes yes I do. Um, if, uh for free folk, as far as that goes, um, it's not just what they can bring to the table. As far as well, I've got eight, nine activations on the table. All these wounds, um, it's that they've got. So everyone plays a 40-point game at the competitive level. It's 40 points. Uh, unless you're free folk, you actually play 48. And 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 the. So you've got an eight-point advantage as Free Folk, and the only thing that I've seen that can stop it so far is having field control or counterplot at the right time. And if you don't, then you're, pay, you're playing with eight points less than your opponent. So to build against them, I would suggest having one of those two cards in your deck, if not both, if possible. Um, if you're running something like Starks or something like that uh, that doesn't have access to that, uh, I don't know. Um, The the other thing they do is, you know, he said death of a thousand paper cuts, and he mentioned the chariot charge. Um, The amount of damage, that output that they can do with four-point units is kind of mind-boggling. You know, their four-point units with their tactics deck can do, you know, they they can outperform six, seven, eight-point units. It's kind of nuts. And then it's like, okay, well, they're all infantry for the most part, except for the chariot, so I'll just outmaneuver them. And, like, yeah, actually, no, I've got Lady Val. So, good luck with that. (laughs) So, I don't know. I wish I knew, but I don't.
2: Not only that, but with having as many activations as they do, like, even, like, outmaneuvering them, they can just, like, reposition. And, you know, uh, they have so many units that they can still, like, control objectives while just, like turning to face you and knowing that they have so many units that they can cover their flanks and so even even if let's say for example they don't have lady Val because like I play a lot without her and that's I'm kind of explaining it in um, from experience from what I do um, and that's just You know, you have so much on the table that you don't even really have to worry about flanks. Sometimes, unless your opponent has, like, ride-by attack, like, they can't even get around you. So, um, you, you know, trying to, like, shoot past a unit like you could in a lot of other games just isn't doable in a lot of Free Folk matchups. Um, but to kind of expand on some of the answers, um, you know, I play Free Folk a lot uh, recently, and I would say uh, Baratheons have a good shot. Um, uh, traditional Baratheons. With the um, amount of tokens that Baratheons throw out, and then having Final Strike, um, you can really uh, punish your... And then the the Queensmen and Kingsmen having to the last to really just stick around. Um, light bringers for the, uh, panic, uh, the vicious arrows and then arcing some panics, uh, they can do quite a bit of damage. Um, I would almost even argue that even though you're running, um, and this would kind of help you with, uh, with Night's Watch too, um, you know, instead of running like a roller commander, you run, uh, uh, Stannis uh, uh, rightful, rightful Is that what he's called? The, the Starter Box Stannis will say that. If you run Starter Box Stannis and you can get his tactical approach on um, now you have auto wounds not only for potentially giants if they're going to run giants but also just for champions of the stag I think he's going to be a very underrated commander that's going to help you with practically everything Um, So if you're a Baratheon player out there, not that I want to help you Baratheon players, because lately you've been giving me headaches, uh, (laughs) um, I think that will be a very uh, clutch and underrated commander going into this Nationals, will be the starter box Stannis. Um, Just tactical approach, the token play, uh, and um, just, uh, was it Will the One True King? You know he has a lot of cool things that he can do, and I think uh, I think he'd be perfect uh, mid mid play, or like a mid uh, like a hybrid type list that can handle um, horde or armor. Because um, the free folk, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be this easy answer against free folk. I don't think there is such a thing. I don't think there. You could just be like, I'm going to tailor this list to. Be anti-free folk, and you know it, it would probably give you a really good shot. But it's not going to be like, oh, well, you you don't stand any chance, you're, or the free folk player doesn't stand any chance. So I would just say, if you're if you're a brathing player out there, and you're looking for like a really good all-comer list, just st- just starting with um, uh, starter box, Stannis. Uh, is, is I think, a great start. And then either queensman or kingsman, I would personally say queensman, um, some light bringers, and then run some other cheaper stuff, because you want to try to, if possible, you want to try to get to um, uh, eight activations, Though Stannis side of things. It's very hard to do that without like running the Dragonstone Noble, um, especially if you're talking... Um, uh, you know, because my favorite thing to put uh, uh, Stannis Commander in, uh, the starter box one, is uh, Bastard's Girls. Um, you know, especially if, if you put Tactical Approach on, on them. Now you're shooting uh, four shots, three up, panic test. They become vulnerable. You get to charge. Uh, you charge. You... Um, can then do three auto wounds, six attacks, hit on threes, vicious. Uh, it's not as dangerous as it used to be, but that still is a lot. Um, you know, between two panic tests, three auto wounds, a vicious panic test, uh, two you know, ten total dice between the range and the melee. So definitely keep that in mind if you're kind of on the fence of what commander you want to run as a Baratheon player. And this goes for obviously the main event or the. Uh, um the last chance qualifier now to talk about breathians uh or uh we'll start with you Brett what uh what would you say to people who are trying to prep and are having trouble with breathians what would, what advice would you give them well i want to
0: i want to trickle back to preps real quick and just and just point out a couple of things
2: nope nope too late too late oh. <laughs>
0: As far as as far as playing the free folk match, I'm going to say something, and I think that a lot of people would vehemently disagree with what I'm saying. But unless you play Targaryens or a faction that has counterplot that you can counterplot endless forge, um, because Targaryens can play field control and basically eliminate that card. Outside of that, I think if you're playing free folk, a lot of a lot of people have this idea that on your round where you go first you have to cover the horse to prevent them from bringing the Raiders on I think my, my honest opinion on that is I just wouldn't even bother if they they're going to play Endless Horde if it's in their hand they're going to play it no matter what you do um, even if you take the horse that round they'll just save the card and then they'll play Endless Horde at the start of their next round you're not going to prevent them from playing it unless you have field control or counterplot you're just not um, I think you actually kind of play into their hands a little bit when you take the maneuver zone and don't really get a benefit from it because a lot of the times it 's not going to do much for you <clears throat> even if you're playing like ranger hunters that have quick fire you 're going to use the maneuver zone and, and send your quick fire there, and I guess you get some economy out of it, but at the same time now when you do your attack and charge you're not going to have the quick fire at that point i just i'm of the opinion that trying to play for the maneuver zone opens up the swords the money bags and the letters for them and i think overall it's just not worth it i think you i think you just play your game and you don't give up the swords to take course i just don't think you do um and then i think the single best Piece of tech that you can take against free folk is if you've got an auto pass panic card, because a lot of the free folk damage hinges on theirs too many, and they would have to play theirs too many, and expend their panic token or whatever before you play your auto pass card, and it can really, really, really throw a wrench in their gears when they can't get that big spike from theirs too many. I, it kind of makes them mortal, as as I would say it. They're they're unlikely to be able to finish that unit off without that big six-word panic test.
2: Yeah, well, especially uh, not only w- not, not only would that help you against uh, there's too many. It'll uh, segueing into the Baratheons, it would help you against the Melisandra matchup, too, having that auto-pass. Because remember, Melisandra can only happen six times in a game, and a lot of times it, the game will end round five, so she's only happening five times. If you have a card that auto-passes, that's two of the five, meaning she's only going to trigger three times.
1: Bro, yeah, what were you going to say, Brett?
0: As, and then, as far as, as Baratheons go, um, I think overall, a lot of a lot of playing into Baratheons is just not not taking bait and not falling into traps. Um, generally, there's going to be a unit or two in that list that you can kill. Um, going, even if you've got like assault orders, pike aggression and all of this other stuff. I'm not a, I'm not real sure that you want to just go charge into Champions of Stacks head-on. I think that's a, that's a good way to die. Um, same with Queensmen. Even if you've got a number of attacks or, like, you've got a first-turn, last-turn situation, <coughs> I just don't think that's smart. I don't think that's the way to play into Baratheon. Um, like I said before, when I played Gary, uber-healing uber nasty list, I ended up just killing the Wardens with Brawn. And from there, I just retreated
2: the rest of the game. Uh, you mean Davos. I didn't do Hmm? Uh, the one, uh, maybe he changed it. Uh, the one I faced, it was Wardens with Davos.
0: <laughs> no, he... I played his Renly side. His Renly side had Wardens with Brawn. Stagnite oh, okay. with Ramsey and Reese. Champions of the Stag yeah, yeah. with Glory Seeker and Rose Knights with Loris. So his backup list was the double champions of the stag, and if I've said double champions of the stag with Gary, then I've misspoken because I didn't play his double champ list. This was his friendly side list that was he's got expert duelists to deal with nightwatch and stuff. He did kill both of my watch captains with expert duelists, but I still I just didn't go into his trap. The trap of attacking Loris and then the Glory Seeker healing Loras, and then Laura's healing himself when he attacks. These types of things are just traps that you can completely avoid. You just play the mission. Um, I think if you can kill one of their units and drop their activation count so that it's more difficult for them to set up really high-tempo plays, you can just kind of out-survive them. Because, yes, Champions of Staggered Nasty, they put a vulnerable token out, they have Critical Blow all the time, but depending on what faction you're playing, it can be pretty difficult for them to actually get through more than one unit. So sometimes you have to play that survival game.
2: Yeah, I would say uh, very uh, durable, um, uh, cheap units would be the best thing to try to throw at these champions. I mean, not to really give any, uh, not necessarily to give any more tips or strengths to Free Folk players, but I think one of the attachments that's underutilized from what i've been seeing is the uh, walrus chieftain in a unit of raiders makes it a five point unit that resilience on top of making them a six up morale and negating their extra wounds throwing that into a champion uh, unit and just sitting there and wait while while it takes like three turns to eat through you and then not give up a victory point is like the number one way to just ensure these champions uh of the stack go nowhere and do nothing uh all game, and all they did was kill a five point unit that uh didn't even give up a victory point so um if uh, and to just uh, kind of you know expand if in your faction if you have something similar obviously you're not going to have something that's insignificant it's it's nowhere near going to be as efficient as that. But if you have something similar, that's, I would say, probably the best thing to do. Or you could go uh, Craig's route and just run circles around them. <laughs> yeah. Craig, you still there with us?
1: Yeah, sorry, I was working.
2: No, you're good. So, but yeah,
1: um. As far as Brathians go, uh, Champions of the Stag too, um, I don't charge them 90% of the time. I let them charge me, and I know that's kind of not how you play this game. But when it comes to them, I just figure I'm not going to kill them anyway, so I would rather receive a weakened token than a vulnerable token. And I just try to drown them with weakened tokens. And so they're not Thanks. hitting me very yeah. hard, <laughs> I'm not vulnerable. I'll be okay.
2: <coughs> yeah, and the, you know, whenever you're facing a Baratheon list that has low activations, and by low I mean like six, I, I guess you, you're you probably not gonna see any lower than six, but um, six activation brassine lists are usually extremely durable. Uh, so I would say those lists um, you know, cause I've played against those type of lists with extremely offensive lists and I go nowhere. Um, so I would say your best bet, even if you're confident that you're super offensive is just play the mission and play very tactically, um, you know, like, or very tactical, um, and yeah. You know, play to the mission. You know, don't engage where you don't have to engage, uh, and make them come to you. Try to use your uh, superior activation count, even if it's just one more. Like, let's say you have seven and they have six, um, to really uh, benefit you. Um, you know, don't fall into the trap of feeling like you have to get like like Craig was saying. Don't feel like you have to charge them to prevent the charge from you. If anything, just preventing the uh the clash from even happening um, is the best overall, you know just avoiding combat which is kind of sad to say um, when you have to avoid combat across the entire board because the entire list is so durable, that's a little sad, just you know I understand like that's a sound tactic against like certain units, but when the entire force is that way, it makes for a very. In my opinion, I know everyone has their own opinion on like the way the game's played, but for me, that's not very fun. It's a very boring game to have to like not engage your the enemy. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, but that's just that would be my advice if you're going to be facing these low activation, high durability uh, lists. and don't uh, don't take to the last for granted. You may only have two. Times that it works, but you know, with the amount of healing uh, that can go on, and you know, you can get stuck in that combat for like the whole game uh, if you're both durable. No, that could be your benefit if it's you know if your unit's like a, a nothing unit and it's like one of their bigger units. But generally, you know, you don't want to be stuck in a combat with these kingsmen or queensmen. Especially, like especially if the Queensmen have any sort of an attachment in them to give them like a offensive buff, all right, so coming down to the you know uh to the end of the show here the, so we'll kind of go around and just talk about kind of wrapping it up on uh any anything we didn't touch on, Brett, that you wanted to kind of mention about uh prepping for gen con.
0: I mean, I, I think for the most part we covered things that I wanted to cover. I, I don't want to turn it into a show where we kind of bash the meta and, you know, there's there's just certain shows for that. But um, I think overall, um, yeah, I, I think we covered anything. I, I think we covered what I would want to talk about. Just, again, the most important thing is just show up and have fun. Um, if you think that one faction is – the best and give you the best chance to win but you you dislike playing them and it's going to be miserable for you just i mean don't even bother um even for the people who don't make day two in the top 16 there's going to be other song events i believe ran at the same time so it's not like you just go home and you wasted your money and your time by not winning um to some extent you know, not having some of that pressure might be a relief to an extent, you know, and you just get to participate in a more casual, more fun thing. And I'm not saying the competitive side is less fun, but there is a a degree of stress to that. So just the most important thing is to just come, have fun. Uh, You're at the biggest gaming convention in the world, and you're hanging out with people that you wouldn't normally get to hang out with. So that's the most important thing.
2: Yep, I definitely agree with that. How about you, Craig? Is there anything you wanted to touch on before we uh, close out?
1: Uh, not really. Brett said it well. Um, this is probably going to be one of the most competitive in-person events we've seen in the state. Um, you know, at least since pre-COVID. So don't don't let it go to your head, and remember to have fun. You know, it's you know i I'm, I'm guilty of this. It's really easy to get too wrapped up into I need to and forget what the point is. So like like Brett said, yeah. take bring a good list, but bring a list you're going to enjoy. And I know there's been a lot of talk on Discord and other places about, you know, the, the switching of lists and whether that's good or bad or, you know, whatever your opinion is on it, whether you're going to switch lists or whether you're just going to bring one list and run it all three days or whatever, it, it doesn't matter. Just make sure that you enjoy your experience.
2: Now, we'll say one thing out there, and I don't know if anyone like this will be in any of the tournaments. Some people will just submit one list. Even if you only plan to play one list, just throw a second, like, whatever list on there. Um, just keep your opponent guessing. Um, even And, you know, obviously don't tell anyone that, yeah, I'm just going to run this list no matter what, but just, you know, throw it on there. That's why I always tell a lot of our locals when I see, like, one list, I'm just like, hey, just put a like a goofy list on here, or or even try to make it seem like it's your better list, and then just keep your opponent guessing. Um, with that said, the only other thing I wanted to mention before we close out is, uh, though I'll probably need your help with this one, Brett, because I haven't seen that post you're referring to. Uh, does it say in there what missions and or what uh, what they're doing for terrain, like how it's chosen or anything like that?
0: I haven't seen anything on that, um, so I can't say for sure. If I was guessing, well, I wouldn't want to guess. I'll just say
1: that um,
0: probably just keep an open mind with it because at Nationals 2021, they did random terrain, and I think it was like six pieces or something really crazy. So I would imagine just... Uh, Well, you you could see either way, right? You could see standard, well, quote-unquote standard players pick, but I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, if a message comes down from the developers, which is what happened in 2021 that, uh, if a message comes down from the developers and said, hey, we want to see random terrain to really, you know, push people to play with different stuff, and they chose some. They chose different missions. They chose some interesting missions. I know we played Here We Stand. Um, the, I, I know the last round was was it Dark Wings, Dark Words? Was the one where you draft your mission deck and the 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 tokens don't give victory points unless it specifically says Winds of Winter. Okay, then it was Winds of Winter. Winter. Um, so we played Winds of Winter. We played Here We Stand. Man, I, uh, I think the, I can't remember. I'm not going to sit and guess. Maybe Game of Thrones. Um.
2: Yeah, well, I just can't I'll remember.
0: I'm pulling a blank. <laughs>
2: You're good. Uh, anyone listening, I, as soon as that information comes out, I will, uh, mention it on the next show so let's say it comes out I don't know tomorrow the next show that we do we'll, we'll I'll mention it that way we can kind of like give people that are looking to go a heads up if they haven't seen that information already um, I want to say this to you know, I'm crossing my fingers Simon is listening or someone from Simon if you guys are doing like a, a tournament that's like running at the same time as the main event I would um, asking this as a favor explore that event um, In testing more terrain Uh, you know I'm looking on Etsy and there's some of this really cool 2d terrain you know you have uh, like two-dimensional houses uh, two dimensional like little like uh, like rectangles of like crops um, and rivers that you can kind of construct they're like different sections and you can like make a river um, ponds uh, just so many cool things that you could implement for terrain to just kind of mix things up and add more in there. I know I know you have the section that allows us to make our own stuff with our own keywords and our own rules, but I'm telling you, I've played more games than I can count, and every time I bring up doing it, no one wants to do it. No one, They just want to play with what you guys have told us to play with and what you provide in the rule book. Uh, I know there's people out there that do do it. I'm just telling you from all the communities I've gone to all over the country, and my group and all the groups around me, no one is willing to do it. They just like, eh, no, I, I we'll just play with, because a lot of people feel like you're trying to get a one-up on them, because like, oh, this guy must have already been playing with this terrain, and you know they're gonna have an advantage. So I just ask that look into this, even go on Etsy, it'd be easy to find, you'll be able to find like, all these cool pre-made, uh, and I'm not saying to necessarily completely copy, but it'll give you an idea of different things that you can add, and then you can use this uh, upcoming tournament that'll be happening at the same time as the, uh, some of the other events to kind of experiment and see how people like it. Um, and, you know, because I'd love for there to just be uh, like a ton of terrain, uh, like just a lot more variety. And then I'd like to see you know the more terrain you add that doesn't have the destructible keyword, also means less chance that you're going to roll on the random table and get nothing but destructible pieces. Um, and that's the uh, I'll, I'll end it with this last part is um, other than stakes and palisades, uh, low walls and hedges, they don't need the destructible keyword. Just take that out, please. <laughs> uh, I mean. They have very minimal p- impact as is. Uh, they really don't need to be destructible. Uh, whereas I understand why a palisade and the stakes kind of need to be because their like their effect is so game-changing. Sometimes, um, I don't know. So, end end rant there. But Simon if you're listening, please uh, consider some of that, if not all of it. Um, But with that said, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode talking about uh, prepping for Gen Con 2022, which is um, just over two weeks away. Oh, what's today, Wednesday. So technically it's exactly two weeks away if you're counting the first day where you can go pick up your badge. Um, I'm super excited, I can't wait. I am basically spending the entirety of today just painting, um, trying to get things ready um, with my Free Folk Currently, I know I shouldn't be, but currently I'm working on my Night's Watch uh, trays. Uh, not, you know, Night's Watch can probably be the last uh, faction that I paint, but here I am uh, paint, doing all their trays up. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I can't wait. I'm trying to crunch in as much as I can get. Can't wait to see everyone. Uh, we will keep you updated with the rules um, and probably share out the, the link uh, on either Discord, and or Facebook uh, for those that uh, may not have seen uh, any of the information. So definitely stay tuned there. And then we might have some cool giveaways coming up in anticipation for Gen Con. Uh, Can't wait to see you guys there. Thank you so much, uh, Brett and Craig, for coming on. This is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed.
1: soon here.